Well, good morning again, church. If you have a Bible, please open to the book of Matthew, chapter 26. Matthew, chapter 26. We'll be looking at a very familiar passage today. We many times call it the Last Supper. But I want you to know, even though it was the last supper in the Lord's earthly life, it will not be the last supper. Amen? We'll see that the Lord gives us grace this morning. Matthew 26, notice verse number 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when Ned sung a hymn, they went out to the mount of olives. Preaching on this subject this morning, the Lord's last Passover meal. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for the privilege of being in your house. And God, we thank you now, God, for the opportunity, uh, God, to worship, not only in spirit, but in truth. And so, God, we thank you for your word. It is truth. And God, we pray that as you speak this morning, God, and that's what we're asking, God, that you would speak. God, that the Spirit of God would overwhelm us in this moment. And God, that you would give us a supernatural attention, God, to the Word of God. That's what we need. God, I need it. God, I need your touch this morning. I ask for your help. And God, I pray that you would communicate what you want to say to our hearts this day. And God, for that one who's lost this morning, God, we make no... God, slide remarks about it. They're lost. They're headed for hell. We need them to understand that this morning, God. But more than we want or desire for them, God, you want them to understand how much you love them and gave yourself for them. So, God, I pray today that they would come repentant before the Lord before this day is over. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Matthew twenty six seventeen says, Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread... The disciples came to Jesus saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? I heard a story about a large Baptist church that was filled to overflowing capacity one Sunday morning. Uh, the preacher was ready to start his sermon when two men dressed in black, uh, long black coats had entered through the rear of the building. One of the two men walked in the middle of the church while the other stayed at the back of the church and they both reached under their long black coats and withdrew automatic weapons. The one in the middle announced, everyone willing to take a bullet for Jesus, just stay in your seat. Naturally, the pews emptied, followed by the choir, the deacons, the staff, everyone ran out the door. All that was left after a few moments were about 20 people pastor standing firmly in the pulpit and then those men with automatic weapons put them away and said gently to the pastor all right pastor the hypocrites are gone now 
you may begin your service. Well, in our main text of Matthew 26, verses 26 through 30 that I just read, most scholars believe by that time the hypocrite who is Judas is already gone. But in verses 17 through 25 prior, he is still present. And so with that in mind, I want us to think about this morning for the first few minutes, what those last few minutes with Judas, when they were all together, might have been like. First, I think this was a time of relationships. You know, the thing that makes the difference between an acquaintance and being the best of friends is experience. Experience. When you share the same experiences, something special happens. A bond of connection takes place. And when those things involve the supernatural second birth that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ, friends, something supernatural does take place. You move from friendship to fellowship, as I've told you before, and those things influence faithfulness one to another. Happy times in the lives of individuals build friends for life. Happy experiences, but not only happy experiences, uh, happy times, but hard times. Friend, you go through a hard time with somebody and you're going to build a bond with them. You know what I'm saying? And so here in these last moments where all these individuals were together, I just began to think about how they'd walked together day after day. For three and a half years, these men have been walking with the man who was Messiah. They had watched him do many mighty miracles. And as they're getting ready for this Passover meal, no doubt they would enjoy being around the table, but also around each other. It was a great time of relationships. Listen, church, I want to say something to you this morning. The family of God ought to be the place we fellowship with friends. The Scripture's plain. We ought not be unequally yoked with the world. That's not just talking about marriage. That's not just talking about business. We're talking about from front to back, friends together. Friend, listen, we need to be yoked with one another in the body of Christ. And so the church ought to be the place where we find folks to love and to laugh with, to have hope and happiness with, because the joy of Jesus lives in our heart. It also ought to be the place where there's help for the hurting and hope for the worried. We should be identified in the body of Christ by the way we pick people up, not by pushing them down. In fact, Jesus said the way the world would be able to tell we were His disciples is by the love we have one for another. And so this was no doubt a great time of relationship, but also a great time for reflection. This meal remembered the passing over of the destroyer and their ancestors coming out of Egypt. You remember that? You go to Exodus, you can find it. Uh, There would be great reflection upon that event, their past, but also upon the promises of God. Uh, no doubt in these individuals' lives in this day, there were many problems. Uh, they had problems with the government, problems with the religious authorities, uh, uh, but they could still, they could still see Jehovah being faithful to His promises. In fact, the one promise they had all been waiting on, God incarnate, the Master who was Emmanuel, God with us, was sitting right in front of them. Friend, God was faithful to His promises and they were no doubt reflecting on that. I ask you this morning, why don't you just take a minute to reflect on the promises of God in your life? 
You know, uh, Brother Nathan just sang about it. Uh, David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. I don't see any of you in too bad shape this morning. If you are, see the chairman of the deacons. Maybe he can help you out. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) see the pastor. He can help you out. Listen. This morning, we need to realize all the times when God's made a way when there seemed to be no way. All those times when grief in our life turned to gladness because we have a good, good Father. And Jesus will be faithful and God is always faithful. And so we realize this was a time of relationship. It was a time of reflection. But this time, specifically this time, it was a time of realization. The final Passover that would ever be necessary would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God who would in just a few days, or excuse me, in just a few short hours, take away the sin of the world. You know Christ was about to bear the weight of sin's debt in His body on the tree, and He would indeed pass over into life beyond the grave. In this moment, friend, there no doubt was a great sense of sentiment in the room. That's the time they spent together. And here I have to ask this question, how could Judas, how in the world could he walk out on something so special, forsaking the Savior and his own self? We realize that greed had indeed grabbed his soul. And friend, I want to say to you this morning, it'll grab yours too. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, I want to say this to you. We see that that's the time they spent together. Now think about the time from this point forward they would spend apart. Judas left in the midst of this meal and he would be forever separated from God. And don't you think if he had understood the consequences of that one choice that he would have gotten things right with Jesus? Nobody would walk out of this place today turning their back on Jesus if they understood in just a few short moments they'd be burning in hell. Nobody would do that. But friend, that's the choice that Judas made and that's the choice that you'll make if you say no to Jesus and you step out into eternity. Lost man, you do realize this morning that forever is a long time. It's time outside of time. Friend, forever is time that knows no time. That's a long time. It's forever. Hell is forever. And so we see the time they spent together and the time they would spend apart. But now notice how this scene must have touched each one's heart. John 13 tells us that the Holy One has humbled Himself with these twelve. In the midst of this meal, the one... Uh, who had done all the mighty works of God, he has humbled himself. He has now washed the dust from their dirty feet. John 13, 12 says, So when he had washed their feet, taken his garment, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now listen, most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. 
If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Hillcrest Baptist Church, I want to say to you this morning, you know a whole lot. You probably know more than any church in this town. You do realize that, right? You've been educated, you've been discipled, you've been taught. Friend, there's not an ignorant person in the house. And I don't mean that disrespectful. That term means uneducated. Friend, listen, you know a whole lot, but the blessing's not in the knowing, it's in the doing. That's what Jesus plainly said right there. You know what knowing and no doing will bring upon your life? Judgment. James 4, 17 says, To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. For all the individuals in the house this morning who get offended whenever someone points out the fact that missing church is a sin, friend, I got news for you, it is a sin. You say, well, no, it's not a sin to miss church every now and then. Friend, I'm not talking about you going on vacation and finding yourself somewhere out in the middle of nowhere and you can't get church. I'm talking about deliberately missing church. The Bible is plain. We ought not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Uh, you say, well, I, is it a sin not to read your Bible? Well, do you know to read your Bible? To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So him who sits on the couch and turns on the TV and never opens the Word of God, to him it is sin. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, it is sin. And so we understand that there are some things that we don't do that are still sin. But friend, listen to me. Jesus said knowing is one thing, but doing is altogether something different. And so when you know to do things, you'll be blessed if you do them. As Jesus washed His disciples' feet, He communicated that the blessing is found in service. And so Judas, the betrayer, was in that bunch. Can you imagine what was going through his mind as he sat before Jesus? The Lord wrapping those sinless hands of his around his sinful feet. Those feet that were swift in running to shed innocent blood. I can sense Judas under great conviction. The Holy One full of the Holy Ghost looking deep into his sinful eyes knowing what he's about to do. No doubt Judas's his heart was racing, his spirit was trembling, probably uh, feeling as if he was about to jump out of his own skin. I sense that about Judas. But yet in his own free will, he rejects the man who is Messiah. No repentance found in him. And in just a matter of minutes, hours, he's not only gone into the place of Hades, the place of the dead, but on into hell the place where death lives. So we see Judas in that bunch, but secondly, see Jesus and His blessing. As I surveyed these verses, I also thought about what was going on in the mind of the Lord Jesus at this time uh, as He broke the bread and as He blessed the cup and just what all that meant. Well, first we realize that it was symbolic. Uh, We don't believe that this literally becomes the the body and blood of the Lord Jesus when we take of the Lord's Supper. This was symbolic. Jesus makes it plain. The bread represents His body and the contents of the cup represent His blood. Perhaps the most shocking sermon Jesus ever delivered is found in John chapter number 6 when He spoke of uh, eating His flesh and drinking His blood. 
No doubt all the, the, the disciples, those men who were gathered, they probably in those moments began to cringe when Jesus was speaking of those things. He said that his flesh was food indeed and his blood was drink indeed. Now friend, I know we live in a, a society filled full of those who think the zombie apocalypse is coming. But Jesus, friend listen to me, Jesus, when he rose from the dead, you do realize it was literal. I know our, our, our young people have a hard time understanding things today. But listen, we see here in Matthew 26 those words of Christ in reference to eating his body and drinking his blood. They are coming to life. The, the words of the Lord are now in a new light here. He is communicating that without receiving the body and blood of Christ as your atonement, there will be no life for you. That's what he's teaching us. And so we see the symbolism, but notice also his sinlessness. We realize that the bread is unleavened. It represents his sinless body. The fruit of the vine, notice the terminology, is unfermented, representing his sinless blood. And so we see not only his symbolism and his sinlessness, but thirdly, notice the suspense. This place had to be full of suspense in this moment. Jesus knew that in just a few short hours, betrayal was coming. In fact, Matthew 26, 2, Jesus says specifically, the Son of Man is being betrayed to be crucified. Judas, whom the Lord had loved and was willing to save, had walked with him day after day, but had been filled with the devil to do the dirty deed. He is betraying the Lord into the hands of sinful men. Can you imagine how hurtful that must have been? Uh, When an individual whom you've trusted, you've entrusted, invested in, when you've, you've given of your resources, you've poured yourself into them, and yet now in this moment, you know that he is going to betray you. Friend, do you realize that's where our society is today? Investment after investment, our country places in young people, you've invested in no doubt countless lives in this building this morning, but most of our young people today know nothing of being faithful unto the end. Most take what they can get and leave the rest to the dogs. You say, who is it that influences betrayal into the heart of an individual? The same one that did Judas. The devil. You say, well, I'd never betray Jesus. Friend, you don't have the option to betray Jesus. Your option is to believe Him or not. You'll never have the option to do to Him what Judas did. But every time the sweet Spirit of God speaks into your heart, calling you out of darkness, friend, and you say no and walk into sin, you're turning your back on Jesus time and time again. That's what you're doing. Friend, don't betray the Son of God who loved you and gave Himself for you. Don't let pride exalt you to a place of thinking you don't need Jesus. Friend, if you do, you'll be just like Judas. You'll find yourself in a shape one day, miserable, desiring a relationship with God. How sad would it be 
if you've walked over that line that no one knows where it is, and yet Jesus, you realize, you hear stories like that sometimes of an individual who knows that Jesus is the Son of God, but they can't just grab it deep down in their heart. I had a conversation with someone not too long ago. He said, I feel it right here, but I can't get it right here. Somehow, sometimes I can sense Judas in those moments as he entered into hell. I can hear the screams in my mind. Help me! I'm dying down here. I can see him like that rich man in Luke 16 desiring someone to come along and dip their finger in the water and just cool the tip of his tongue. Friend, those are moments in reality, in hell that will be reality forever. The Lord Jesus knew this betrayal was coming. And let me say this this morning. You do realize today that Judas would have been an individual whose name would have been on a membership roll in a Baptist church, don't you? Friend, no doubt this morning there's some of you sit here week after week. The Spirit of God knocks on your heart's door calling you out of darkness. You love your sin more than you love Jesus. Friend, you may wake up one day just like Judas. The Lord knew betrayal was coming, but He also knew the beatings were coming. The multitude came with Judas to the garden and spitefully seized him and led him to Annas first and then on to Caiaphas, the high priest where the scribes and the elders were assembled. There they mistreated the Messiah. Matthew 26, 67 says, Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? That mistreatment went on until morning. Matthew 27, 1 says, When morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus, listen, to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. The language in those two references is very explicit. The word used for death in Matthew 27, 1, when used throughout the gospel, seems to always be in connection uh, with betrayal, which suggests this, hatred. You do get the picture here. These religious authorities, they hated Jesus. They hated him. And so I have to think in my mind, how could you hate the one who all he ever did was love? But that's exactly where they are. They hated him. They didn't want Jesus to be their Lord. The language not only explicit, but also very descriptive. Matthew 27, 2 says, They bound him. It's the same word used to reference the madman at Gadara who was possessed with a legion of demons. Mark 5, 4 says that he had been often bound with fetters and chains. It's not only that, the same word used there, it's also found in John eleven forty four 44 in reference to uh, the grave clothes of Lazarus. He was bound hand and foot. The Christ by whom the worlds were framed is now in this moment 
restrained. He's bound. He was not only bound. Scripture says they led him away. It's the same word found in Matthew 7, 13. Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount when He says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Here the precious Lamb of God, who is the Lion of Judah, is led as a lamb to the slaughter. He's bound. He's led. And He was delivered. Friend, that's a dirty word. This word delivered, the Greek word used for delivered here is found six times in Romans chapter 1 in just a matter of verses. It's used there in reference to God giving an individual over to do that which was unfitting concerning sin. Church, I don't like this. I, don't, I can't explain it, but that's what's taking place here in this moment. They were giving Jesus over to do that which is unfitting concerning sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that He was becoming sin who knew no sin. He was made to be sin. When I hear those words. I can't help but think about myself. I was led... I was bound in the chains of iniquities led by my sin and condemned to die. Here this morning, if you're outside a relationship with Christ, John 3 says you're already condemned. Friend, your judgment's settled. You could die today and go to hell, go to uh, stand before God and you would not be able to get in. Thank God Jesus was delivered so that I could be delivered. The captain of our salvation led captivity captive. Galatians 1, 4 says, He gave Himself for our sins that He might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God and Father. Colossians 1.13 says He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Lord Jesus suffered those things at the hand of sinful men on His way to Pilate. Then Pilate sent Him on to Herod where He was mistreated even more. Excuse me, Luke 23, 11 says, Then Herod with his men of war treated Him with contempt and mocked Him, arrayed Him in a gorgeous robe and sent Him back to Pilate. We think about the betrayal and the beatings, but then there's also Barabbas. Barabbas. The one who'd been openly known as a murderer and yet the people put the holy and the just one in his place. Not only Barabbas, but the blasphemy. The playing of games with the Son of God. Church, I want to ask you this morning, are you playing games with Jesus? You say, oh, I'd never do what they did to Jesus. No, but if you run around and you hold out on Jesus and and you're always trying to be more pious than you really are, friend, you're playing games. Not only the blasphemy, but then there was the beam. The horror, the misery, the distress of this Roman death device we call a cross. In just a matter of hours, the Lord Jesus would be nailed to it. Finally, there's the blackness of day, night at noon to 3 p.m. 
Son of Man experiences the final appointment of men. For it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. You say, how long was all that in the mind of Jesus? Hours, days, months, years? Yes, before time began. Creation was coming to this moment. And here it's all unfolding. And so we see in the midst of that suspense that there's something special that's taking place. Now hear what I'm going to say to you. This is where we're going right here. You ready? Say, I'm ready. Even with all of that in the mind of Christ, the Scripture records He blessed and broke the bread and then took the cup and gave thanks. The word thanks, it means to be grateful. We live in the most ungrateful age that's ever been with a spirit of entitlement wrought deep inside of every young person, especially today, because of, uh, of society, but also because of their own sinfulness. When the least little thing gets in our way many times, most of us become hateful and ungrateful right off the bat, but yet the lovely Lord Jesus, only hours before the cross, is still giving thanks. You say, how could He do that? How could He, how could he do that? Because He knew what was coming. You say, yeah, we just talked about it. He knew what was coming. The beatings, the betrayal, the blasphemy, the being. Friend, I'm talking about beyond that. John 13, 2, excuse me, 13, 3, Jesus said, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hand and that He had come from God and He was going to God. Where are you going this morning? Jesus knew He was going to God. Where are you going? Say, I'm going to Cracker Barrel. No, no. Where are you going? When this life is over, Jesus was looking death in the face. He knew His hour had come. He was going to God. I want to say to you this morning, in the midst of your fiery furnace, friend, you can still be just like Jesus and give thanks knowing that one day you're going to God. You're going to be an heir with Jesus, a joint heir with Jesus, an heir of God. You're going to rule and reign with King Jesus if Christ lives in you. In the midst of the fires of refinement, friend, just know that the Lord is taking away the dross from His bride. Just keep giving thanks. Just keep giving thanks. The Apostle Paul, a man who no doubt had many reasons to complain, he said we ought to do all things without grumbling or complaining. So Jesus gave thanks and gave them a drink and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. You say, What in the world is remission? Freedom, liberty, pardon, deliverance, forgiveness. It comes from a word that means to send forth. Now understand what I'm going to say to you. 
Remission is not repentance. Do you know that? You say, well, they start with R-E. They got to be saying, no. (laughs) Friend, listen, repentance is you turning from sin to God and concerns your guilt. That's on you. Remission is very plain here. That's what Jesus shed His blood for. It's what you get when you truly decide to turn to God. That builds the picture in my mind of the shackles being uncuffed from a slave and being released. He's being sent forth. That brings a wonderful reality to Hebrews, or excuse me, 1 Peter 2 9, that says, But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Listen, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You ever wonder why many seem to stay held back by their sin and never run into his marvelous light? Maybe because deep down the Lord knew their heart, even though outwardly they professed to repent, but inwardly there'd been no change. And so they've not yet been released to go forward. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? Remission is ascending forth. I like to say it like this it's the release of redemption. The release of redemption. So that's the blessing, but now notice how this keeps building. Verse 29, Jesus said, But I say unto you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The fruit of the vine there is symbolic of joy. It comes from a word that means to rejoice. And so in all the happiness of heaven, Jesus knows what that's like. He knows where He's going. But yet in all the happiness of heaven, the sweet Savior, our sovereign Lord, is already looking and longing forward to that day when He's coming to take us home. He's looking forward to that day. That's what He says it plainly. I'm going to drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That old hymn says, What a day... That will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon His face, the one who saved me by His grace. When He takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. We sing that in reference to us in anticipation of what the joy will be like when we are standing face to face with Jesus. But friend, in our text, we see our Lord longing for that day. It's on his mind. And for now, it's building that sense of excitement. You know, that's important with young people. In youth ministry, that's important. Trying to build that sense of excitement in the group. But friend, there ought to never be a dull moment in this building. Friend, there's coming a day when he's going to split the sky. And when he does, we're going to fly. And when we go with Him, we'll forever be with Him. What sense of excitement ought to be in this place this morning knowing that today could be that day. And so here we see, we see this building. But in Revelation 19, 
It's all just beginning. Verse number 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then He said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. In my mind, I can look forward and I can almost see Jesus in that day. I don't know exactly what it will be like. None of us do. We only have what we have here in the Scripture to paint the picture for us. But I can almost see Him in that day in the glories of heaven reach and take that cup and hold it up and say, this is the day I've been waiting on. I told you when I was getting ready to go to the cross that there'd be a day when I'd sit down with you and drink this new in my Father's kingdom. This is that day. I'm going to say this. I'm glad I'm not going to miss that. But friend, I cannot answer for you this morning. Are you ready to meet the Master?